Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bad Bleeps of the Bible. Reluctant prophet, aquatic adventurer, grumpy hero, honestly, whatever you want to call him, our bleep today has probably one of the most recognizable stories in the entire Bible. I'm sure you know it, but do you know it in all its full and fishy entirety? It's my absolute pleasure to tell you the story of today's bleep, Jonah and the whale. A quick bit of context here before we dive in. Jonah was an Old Testament prophet whose story takes place around the 8th century BCE, directly after the time of Elijah and Elisha, which, for a story about Elisha, check out Friday's episode. Fun fact about Jonah, though. Some scholars actually believe that Jonah was the boy who was brought back to life by said prophet Elijah earlier in the Old Testament. Jonah is also one of the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament, which is a semi-rude name for the 12 books of the Bible that are shorter in length than some of their major prophet cousins. Think Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, etc. In fact, Jonah's entire story is only four chapters and 48 verses total in length, making it a super fun, quick little read. And I would know, since if Baby Scott ever got bored during one of his dad's third sermons of the week, I would pull out Jonah's story and read it during said sermon, because then I wouldn't be in trouble for not paying attention, since I was obviously having my own little personal Bible study there in the pew. Cute. Now that we've established our context, and maybe we rambled a bit too long, whatever, whatever. let's get into it. Our story begins with the prophet Jonah just straight chilling when he hears a voice booming from above him. The voice from above commands Jonah to leave his home in northern Israel and make his way to a city called Nineveh, deep in what is present-day Iraq. Jonah has had it pretty easy as a prophet up until this point, and therefore it comes as quite the shock when he's commanded to preach to these Ninevites whose wickedness has begun to come before God. Obviously terrified from, one, this unearthly voice coming from nowhere, and two, this command to go to this wicked city in order to tell them they're all living horribly, Jonah decides to flee instead. That's it. I'm out of here. He literally runs from his responsibility and attempts to sail to Tarshish, which most scholars agree was located in southern Spain. And remember, he was in Joppa in southern-ish Israel, Israel, that's a distance of over 2,000 miles from Israel to southern Spain, all to get away from God's command. So after paying his boat fare, Jonah promptly settles himself in for what is sure to be a long, long journey. And I'm sure that he hopes it's smooth sailing, but boy, was he wrong. Because just a short time after setting sail, God sends a great wind on the sea. The wind pulls at the sails as thunder booms and lightning rips across the sky. The waves crash against the boat, threatening to break it into pieces. And the crew of hardened sailors fear for their lives. They cry out to their own gods for mercy and begin to throw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But nothing seems to be working. Their doom seems sealed. 
you want to know where our little runner Jonah is during this chaos, do you? Because the text tells us that Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. He was literally catching all the Z's while the ship is being torn to shreds around him. And in this chaos, the captain finds the sleeping Jonah and in complete disbelief asks, My dude, how can you sleep at a time like this? Call on your God. Maybe he'll see us and and notice us and save us so that we won't perish. Jonah, obviously racked with guilt and understanding that this is his fault, that they're in this stormy predicament, says a fun little fake prayer and moves on with his life, I'm sure. But meanwhile, despite the calamity happening around them, the sailors have come up with an idea. They decided to cast lots in order to determine who was responsible for this horrendous storm. Side note, casting lots was a form of gambling, or if you're on the spooky side, divination, where you cast colored or marked stones to produce a certain outcome. So they were going to use a bit of witchery and chance to determine the culprit behind this storm. And that's exactly what they did, since after casting their magic stones, the blame was pointed directly at our coward Noah. What the heck, man? The sailors, I'm sure, asked. What did you do to cause this? Tell us, what is your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And after this flurry of questions, Jonah reveals that he is a Hebrew prophet who ran away from his godly responsibilities, and for that, he's sure that his God has caused this terrible storm to happen. Not only this, though, Jonah also revealed what had to be done. He said to them, "'Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you.' For I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. And now this was a big ask of these sailors. And at first, they refused. I feel like you and I would do the same in this situation if someone asked us to throw them overboard to calm the sea. You want to be responsible for murder? I don't. And neither were the sailors who ignored Jonah and tried their best to row to land. But again, all these efforts were for nothing and they were slowly being forced further and further out to sea, and further to their doom. Well, at that point, honestly, there was only one thing to be done. The sailors screamed a prayer to Jonah's god, shouting, Let us not die for this man's life, but also please don't hold us against us for spilling innocent blood. Please let this be. And with that... They yeeted Jonah into the sea, which the Bible tells us immediately ceased from her raging. So, cue Noah, cast in the midst of the sea. And as Jonah struggles for breath underwater, a dark shape begins to circle. Jonah's eyes catch a glimpse of giant fin. Then a giant, giant tail. Than a giant mouth. And before he even realizes what's happening, Jonah is swallowed by a giant fish. Now listen, when I heard this story growing up, I always pictured in my baby Scott mind a sort of Pinocchio situation where Geppetto gets swallowed by Monstro and is just living his best life on a boat inside of the belly of the whale. A giant cavernous space where Jonah could reflect on his life choices. 
And honestly, he had time to do so since the story tells us that he was in the belly of said whale or fish for a whopping three days and three nights. I hope it was the Pinocchio situation, honestly, for his sake. Anyway, while inside the bell of this great fish, the Bible never says it was a whale, interestingly enough, and the only fish big enough would have been like a whale shark or a megalodon. I don't know. But anyway, while inside the belly of this giant fish, Jonah prays and prays and prays. And in these prayers, he asks to get out of the fish, sure, but goes also on a beautiful rant about how he was cast into the deep in the midst of the sea. But in the midst of the sea, he sees the holy temple. And while the waters compassed him about, he and the weeds were wrapped around his head and he was brought forth out of corruption and more and more poetic language until either God gets sick of hearing Jonah talk or God figured he had learned his lesson. And so God spoke to the fish. We need uh, Dory. To find what are you doing? What are you doing? And the Bible says that the fish vomited Jonah upon the dry land. Nice. So we have poor Jonah, who has just survived a truly horrific ordeal being eaten alive by a fish, spending three days and three nights in the acidic belly of said fish, and then is promptly vomited back onto the shores of Israel. But even after this ordeal, who should tip-tip-tap on Jonah's shoulder? Oh, that's right. God. Who says... Oh, hi, friend. Now that you're back, be so kind and go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach the preaching that I told you to preach a few days ago. And at this point, Jonah doesn't have to be told twice, and he finally makes his way to Nineveh. And in a surprising turn of events, the people of Nineveh, upon hearing Joseph's warning and probably disgusted by his vomit-covered self, repented of their wicked ways which resulted in God's sparing of their city from certain destruction. How lovely. There's still one more chapter in Jonah's story, though. And it's weird. It's just plain old weird. It's a strange chapter, but we're going to include it here. So, in this last chapter of the book of Jonah, our adventurous prophet finds himself in a very grumpy mood. You see... Jonah was actually a bit annoyed that God had spared the wicked city of Nineveh after they repented. Maybe he was hoping for fireworks or some popcorn-worthy divine spectacles, who knows. But regardless, Jonah sits outside the city sulking under a makeshift shelter, hoping against hope that maybe, just maybe, God would change his mind and smite the place after all. And in this moment, God again decides to teach poor Jonah a lesson. He makes a gourd plant grow to give Jonah some shade. And our prophet's mood suddenly brightens, and he's like, oh, this is so nice, just relaxing under this gourd shade. But then God sends a worm to nibble at the plant, and it withers away, leaving Jonah exposed to the scorching sun. Jonah, grumbling again and probably sunburnt, realizes that God is trying to teach him another lesson. And that lesson being he cared more about a plant than he did about the people of Nineveh. God 
chides Noah, reminding him that he loves all his creations, even the Ninevites. And friends, that's it. That's how the book ends. It leaves us to wonder if Jonah really ever fully appreciated the valuable lesson in compassion and forgiveness, or even if Jonah continued in Nineveh or went on to do other things. We have zero idea. It's kind of annoying of the Old Testament author to do this to us, but what can you do? I guess we'll never know. Now, interpretations of Jonah's story abound. Some see it as a lesson in obedience, others as a demonstration of God's mercy and forgiveness, and others as a direct ripoff of the Sumerian tale of Gilgamesh or the Greek tales of Jason. But one thing is certain, the story of Jonah, whether you view it as a gripping historical account, a spiritual parable, or a fantastic fishy tale, it's a captivating adventure that continues to make waves in the sea of human storytelling and spiritual interpretation. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode of our Bleep Jonah. Please feel free to get in touch with me and share your thoughts and church stories and church traumas and anything at badbleepsofthebible at gmail.com. And find us on Instagram and TikTok at badbleepsofthebible. Sources for today's story can be found in our show notes, and please rate, review, and subscribe. Catch you next time, and watch out for great fishes ready to gulp pusillanimous prophets. <laughs> Bye!